Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He is good. Man, our, uh, our uh, announcements are in the bulletin. If you need to know what's going on, you need to get one of those. We're not going to take the time to go through all that today. We do have a baptism after service. One of our children received the Holy Ghost last Sunday morning. They want to be baptized. Hey, man, that's always exciting, so don't get away from here too quickly. I will make a commitment to you today. I'll let you out before I did last time. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Again, we're grateful for all of our guests. We have a lot of new folks that have been coming and have not had the opportunity to greet you. I've met some of you before church today. Some of you were shocked to see me at the door. I decided I might need a new job description. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Amen. I still feel that way about what I'm doing here. Judges chapter 3, verse number 31. And he said, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. I don't think he started out to do that. But you never know what you set in motion when you just decide enough is enough. Amen. I want to talk to you about that today. Say it with me. When enough is enough. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The book of Judges is... A chronicle of one of the darkest times in the lives of God's people. When you read it after the book of Joshua and all the conquering and all of the victories, it's very depressing to see what happens so quickly on the heels of such accomplishment. It By no stretch of the imagination was this their finest hour. They were moving away from godly influences that had helped make them who they were, and they were being attracted to elements within their country. And really, many of the problems that come up in the book of Judges were a result of something that Joshua failed to do when he was leading them into the promised land. For whatever reason, Joshua chose to not tear down the important strongholds of the Canaanites when they were passing through, conquering the land. He bypassed them and left it to the inhabitants of that area to do that later. And as often happens, what we do not take down when we should take it down comes back to hurt us in the future. And so 
because the individual tribes were now isolated and by themselves they chose to not fight but coexist. And as a result of that, they discovered that it is impossible for God's people to coexist with things that are contrary to God's will. And so the root of their problem lies in the fact that they chose to leave strongholds when they had the opportunity to tear them down. And as a result of that, Israel became very weak spiritually. And then the Philistines and the Midianites and many of the other tribes that were in those areas began to harass them and overrun and plunder them. And so the entirety almost of judges is consumed with these up and downs and the the judges that would surface and they would lead God's people back to a right set of priorities and then they would plunge right back in the same abyss and it would start all over again. And it was... It was an extremely turbulent period uh, which forms the backdrop of our scripture text this morning. Not very much can be drawn from verse 31, but if you read over into chapter 5, there is a little window that is given of the times. And in the fifth chapter, in the sixth verse, it says, And in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, In the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. Because of the circumstances of their enemy and because of the plundering and the harassment that had gone on, they were not even occupying their land any longer. They were not living in ownership or authority, but they were slinking through the back alleys and they were going down the hidden trails rather than using the main highways. They were afraid to... Uh, to do those things. So as a result of that, communication cut off and confidence was lost and the insecurities that come with all of that became rampant in, in God's people and life for them became a miserable, miserable grind. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to have to get up and slip out your back door every morning under the cover of darkness, hoping that nobody saw you because you knew if you're, if, if, if certain people saw you that they would harass you or while you were gone, they would come and steal everything that you have. That was the setting. That was where Israel was. And as you can imagine, it was pretty pathetic situation. And as far as, uh, many could could understand it, it couldn't be any worse. And I don't think you could have painted a more pathetic picture of how God's people at that moment were operating. And then out of those settings come men like Ehud and Shamgar and Samson and uh, Gideon. And they help lead God's people into 
a better situation. And this verse, it, it began to work on me several weeks ago because there's so little there. It, we talk about the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, but this is the shortest history story in the Bible that I've ever come across. It's, there, there's so much that should have been said and we would like to have known about that particular setting. And obviously in what we read here, something incredible happened in this hour on this day and it leaves a whole lot to your imagination. Amen. And so my imagination has been working overtime. I, I've been trying to figure out how this could happen, how how this could be. And in this condensed history of a people, I believe that there are some things that we, we, we need to learn ourselves. And it's truly, I, I don't know of any other battle in the history of the world that can be compared to this battle. I don't, I don't I've read a lot of history, but I, I don't know that I've ever read of any conflict that was any more remarkable and astonishing and extraordinary in the history of mankind than this story. It is, it's the story obviously of a great breakthrough and it is a, a story of transformation and the turning of the tide and in modern vernacular, it was a, a moment to stop the bleeding. It, it was a um, it, it was a pivotal moment in the life of Shamgar as well as God's people, and it, it's such a story of improbability. It almost sounds too fictional to be true. I mean, one man against six hundred. Six hundred? I'm, my mind cannot even grasp the, 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 the thoughts or whatever must have gone through Shamgar's mind. Now, now maybe perhaps if he had a sniper rifle and he was strategically located in the high mountains, maybe, maybe, maybe he could have Maybe he could have gotten some of these. But I mean, when they start shooting, they're going to start scattering. Or maybe if he had a Gatlin gun and he would just crank, but he wasn't in a high mountain. He was in the field. He was working with the oxen. You don't take oxen to the mountains. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but you don't, they're, they're not good mountain animals. And so he was, Plowing in the field when this episode unfolds. And human arrogance would tell you there is no way possible. They're just, this, this, just, it can't happen. You, you're, and you're right. No way humanly that it could have happened. But that's some of the things that God's been talking to me about, about our battles. Now you may not be dealing with Philistines today. You may not be dealing with Midianites, but you may be dealing with, and some of you are dealing with some things in your life you need a breakthrough over. You're tired of being harassed by it. You're tired 
of it just nagging you day in and day out. And as much as you pray, you can't seem to pray past it. And you this morning are at a point in your life where you say, you know what? I need a turning of the tide. I've had too much against me. There's been too much pressure on me. There's been too much loss already. Something's got to happen to turn this thing around. And so this man inspires us to understand that it is possible. Praise God. Some of you may be of the opinion that he did that not alone with others. Even some Bible scholars that I've read that don't believe in the miraculous have suggested that he was not alone, that he was with an army. He actually led an army. Well, go back to the book and read it again. One man alone. One man alone. And when you add the weapon of choice, an ox goad, ten foot long or thereabout, probably made of oak, it had a sharp spear on one end and a flat beaten piece of metal on the other. And that's all that he had. You talk about gumption. You talk about nerve. How do you even think in those terms? I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I have average intelligence. I'm not on the top of the scale. But I, I mean, just common sense tells me that, you know what, I don't think that's the that's, I don't know that I would pick this moment to choose this fight. Because nothing is to your advantage. There's no, there's nothing in, 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 in the reasoning of the mind. There's nothing that could tell you that it's worth even making an effort. Old timers call what we're talking about here. They called it pluck. I'm not sure. Exactly where that word or it originated, and I have to be careful nowadays because some of the slang of the old days has a whole different connotation in this new urban day that we live. But they called it pluck. They had guts, gumption, fortitude. They they had nerve. I call it a little bit of crazy. I mean, you just be honest with me. If you're facing 600 armed soldiers and all you have in your possession is an ox goad, you got to have a little bit of crazy in you to even think that there would be a different outcome than a disaster. But I believe that's what God is into sometimes. He's into a little bit of crazy. He's into somebody saying, you know what? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it appears to be. I just know I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of dealing with this stuff. I'm tired of having to go through this same old thing over and over again. And so when I started thinking about all this, the Holy Ghost started speaking to me. And I'm going to just tell you what he spoke to me. All right. First thing he spoke to me is the way 
we, we determine our future by the way we face our present challenges. However impossible, however overwhelming, however statistically challenging they may be, how we face this moment determines my future. And for Israel, for the longest time, they had been at this moment of frustration. They had been at this moment of aggravation. How many other times, how many times had had this man gotten to this point of just sheer aggravation? He was at the breaking point. He was ready to pull his hair out. But nothing ever happened. Nothing changed. And I think perhaps the reason for that may be in the fact that he was looking at too many other things. I personally, I think the reason why God condensed this story into such simple form is because he didn't want us to get confused about what it really takes to have victory in our life. Because it is our propensity to complicate life and to add this and add that and put this in. And But I got to have this and I can't do it without that. And God said, no, all you need is a little bit of crazy. All you need is a little bit of faith. And and say, you know what? I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't understand the process of it all. But I just believe that something is about to happen. Yeah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And this is the second thing the Lord said. He said, just because it looks impossible, doesn't mean it is impossible. Say that. Just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it's impossible. Amen. Say that again. Just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it's impossible. And the reason that some of us are living in frustration right now and we are aggravated Angry, at wit's end, our fuse has been burnt down to a nub, is because we are constantly looking at the present situation and in our mind, all our mind can hear is impossible. It'll never happen. This will never do anything to change your situation. This will never be any different than it's always been. But just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it is impossible. Amen. Turn and look at somebody sitting next to you and tell them that right now. Just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it is impossible. Amen. We hesitate and we stumble and we refuse, listen to me, we refuse to challenge our present circumstances because it just looks too hard. It, it, it looks impossible. There's just no way. One man 
against 600? And men that are armed and equipped and have come for the purpose of causing you misery? And you're so unprepared, all you have to use is an ox goad. But just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it is impossible. You need to get that etched in the forefront of your mind. And every day you get up, just say it again. Let it be the mantra of the day. Just because it looks impossible doesn't mean it is impossible. This is the third thing the Lord said. He said, if you will happily work with what you have, I will give you what you desire. Hmm. Some of you don't like what you have to work with. You don't like the odds that are against you. You don't like a lot of stuff in life that's going on right now. And you have let what you don't like limit what God can do in your life. And because I don't have this or I don't have that or I'm not in this position, you know, it would be better if they'd have caught me in the mountains. I could at least have some strategy. I could have had something to hide behind, but I'm, I'm out here in the open exposed. Isn't it great that God gets you in a place where all you can depend on is Him? And if you'll depend on Him, He'll help you take care of whatever it is you're facing right now. When you look at his weapon, there's nothing in his weapon. I know it could do some injury, but there's nothing, there's not much in that weapon that inspires you to want to go tackle 600 men. I mean, but here's what the Lord said. Defective weapons used properly become destructive tools. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The Greek word is, they're not fleshly, they're, they're not simple, they're not weak is the word, weak. They're not powerless. So what are the weapons of our warfare? Praise, worship, thanksgiving. Prayer, words, basically, your words. So I, I need more than words. I, I need some, I need some firepower behind. I, I need some, I, I need something. What, what greater firepower do you need than the word of God that could just mention something and it come into existence? He just said, let there be. And it was. Why do we need more than our words? If we just learn how to use our words properly and not use them against one another, but use them against our enemy. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel like I'm meddling a little bit too, but I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. Now, Here's what you got to get. This is what the picture. You can go on using what you have 
as a prod to goad that oxen to do something it might not want to do. Or you can use it and let God transform it into a weapon of mass destruction. You can use those words to keep complaining. You can use those words to keep belly aching. That's an old term. If you don't know what that, I don't think they've messed that one up so far. It doesn't have a double meaning. It still means what it always has. Murmuring, complaining, whining. I'm ta- I do this too, so I'm not, I'm not beating you up. I'm talking to myself right now. But if we would use those words in the way God wanted them to be channeled, then they become powerful weapons. They're not inept. They're not without strength, but they can pull down strongholds. They can stop things in your life that have been destroying and wrecking havoc and bringing misery. When you use what you have properly, when you use what simple means God has given you in the right way, God will place an anointing on that that people will stand back and say, wow, how did that happen? How in the world did they do that with what they had? When I get to the end of my life, I don't want anybody to be able to say, I know why he's here. And list all of my accomplishments. I want them to look at me and say, how'd he get here? (laughs) Now, I know some of you don't feel that way. Some of you are so righteous and holy. You're going to get through sailing. You're going to, you're already a past A plus. You got a 5.0 grade average. But I'm not doing so well. Is there anybody else in the house that's got enough, got enough courage to admit I'm not doing that well? Sometimes I'm a C, sometimes I'm a D, sometimes I just purely flunk out. I just want it to be said when I get there. How did he get here? I'll tell you how he got here. He got here by the grace of God. He got here using some weapons you would never believe he used to overcome things in his life that could not have been overcome any other way. Oh, come on, clap your hands to the Lord and praise Him. This is what I believe. This is what I, I, what I feel like the Holy Ghost impressed me. When I started thinking, how, how could this have been possible? How, how could this have happened? That a, an ox goad, a farm implement could be transformed into such a powerful tool to, to destroy 600 Philistines is because this is what I believe. Because there's somebody else other than yourself that's interested in the outcome of your struggle. Yeah, there's somebody else that's interested in your story and how it's going to end. And this is what the Lord showed me. That when he began to fight, when he took that 
first swing, that swing released something he didn't even know was available. When he took that swing at that first Philistine, he said, enough is enough. I'm not living like this anymore. And he took that first swing. God stepped in and supernaturally empowered that swing so that what would have just knocked them down, killed them right dead on the spot. And I'm just here to tell you right now that you can set something in motion when you decide to use your word for something more than complaining. You can set something in motion when you decide, I'm going to thank the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. You will set something in motion that will transform your life. It'll turn your family around. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what some of you need to do. You need to go home today, walk into your house, and start professing blessings over your home. No more discord, no more confusion, no more fighting, no more bickering. That's not what's going to rule here. Instead of coming in the door saying, all you ever do is... I wonder what could be released in this place today. If some of you would just open your mouth. Some of you have been here long enough to have done it, but you haven't even really opened your mouth. You haven't even sang one word of a song yet. You don't think I look. You think, oh, I got my eyes closed up here, but I've seen it. How do you think God's going to help you when you come to his house and he's prepared a table for you and all you do is just stand and look? He gave you a mouth. He gave you a voice. He said, shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands to the Lord. I'm not being mean today. I'm just telling you, you've got a weapon at your disposal. If you'll use it, God will release something when you use it. He will release something in the Holy Ghost that will put an end to your madness and put an end to your pain and misery. He said, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. You'll start reading a story of Samaria. You're besieged. He's in dire straits. They were selling a pint of dove's dung for I forgot how much money. I mean, you're pretty desperate when you're going around scraping up dove's dung. I know that's kind of crude, but that's what the scripture said. They were sacrificing. One mother said to another, if, if we can eat your baby today, we'll have mine tomorrow. That's pretty bad. And the king was powerless. When they came to the king, he said, 
You think I can open heaven? You think I can change this? And the next time they saw him, they saw him with sackcloth within. He, he, the prophet was there. Elijah was there. And he knew what was going on, but nobody else did. And so you go into chapter 7, and down about verse number 3, it said, and there were four lepers outside the gates of the city. All right, four lepers. And they said to themselves, why sit we here until we die? Now, if we go into the city, there's death in the city. The only option we have is just to fall on the hands of the Midianites and pray for mercy. And so the Bible says that they got up and they started walking. Now, again, here's my simple mind. Brother Chad, you can help me. How many decibels right now? How many decibels did I just make with that step? How can you measure how loud a footstep is? Now, if you say, well, if I'm up here, they weren't up here. They were on sand. So how much noise? I got a size 10. They were lepers. Most likely, they had no toes. Their feet were just nubs. And yet, when those nubs started moving. Go on and read down a little bit. Something happened in the host of the Midianites. And, and, and the word says that he made them hear the sound of chariots. Woo! Just, you see what I'm trying to get at is there's no telling what could happen with just your footstep toward an altar today. With your decision, I'm not staying in this dilemma. I'm not living like this. And you just take a step. It may not be that big a deal to you, but in the heavenly realm, it's reverberating. It's sending a message to all of heaven and all of hell that this man or this woman is not going to keep living like they are living. I don't care how desperate your situation is. If you just start moving, God will start moving. If you just take a step, God will magnify your heaven and make them greater than you can even imagine them to ever be. And they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syrians, and behold, there was no man there. For the Lord, everybody say, for the Lord, had made the host of the, hear, the Syrians to hear a noise. That, that just that movement, he could make your enemy hear a noise that would literally scare him out of his boots. And he said, I can't handle this. Boom. Some of you, you don't believe that. But that's the Bible. That's the word. That when you take that swing, 
however feeble it may be and with whatever pathetic instrument you have to use, if you just use what's at your disposal, if you'll use what is within your reach, God will give you what you desire. He'll give you what you need. He'll bless your family the way it needs to be blessed. He'll stop the madness in your life. He'll put an end to the craziness that's going on all around you. Let's stand together. I'm through. But here's the closer. This is, this word is not in your text, but it is implied in the text. And that is the word begin. Say it with me. Begin. Begin. Every transformation has to begin somewhere. Every revival has to begin somewhere. Every renewal has to begin somewhere. I got to studying that word this week and I discovered something that I I did not know. But the root word of begin in the Hebrew is kalal. And this is what it means to be sick of. You get the idea? To be sick of. It speaks about rubbing that produces annoyance. And here's the point. That when you get sick enough of what you're dealing with and you get tired of that friction in your life, all it takes to transform that is just begin. Amen. Just begin. Just, just take a step. Just challenge your situation. Quit looking at your situation and challenge it. Quit being intimidated by what's against you. Oh, my wife doesn't want this. Or my husband doesn't want this. You know what? So what? If you want it, you can have it. If you're tired of misery and you're sick enough of it, you see, we have to get sick of something before we can get shed of it. And I promise you, there'll come a day in your life when you'll get sick enough, you'll do whatever it takes. But some of you are there right now. Some of you are there right now. You're tired of frustration. You're tired of being angry. You're tired of wrestling with this same spirit every time you get up and go to work or come home or wherever you're at. You're dealing with this same mindset. You're dealing with these same issues. You just can't seem to get beyond them. I'm going to tell you how to do that. Begin using what you have. 
at your disposal and just keep using it. Whack, 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 whack. Fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, four fifty, five hundred, five fifty, five ninety-nine. What? Six hundred. Where's some more? Come on, devil. Feel the Holy Ghost right now in this place. Some of you need to get your weapon out right now and start swinging it. Not at people, but at your enemy. Swing it. God will be in it when you swing it. God will move when you swing it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Everybody, let's come to the front right now. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, sir.